Would you take your scriptures? Turn with me to Psalm 97. Psalm 97, we'll be reading the entire psalm. Psalm 97, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. O Lord, our Lord, we come before your word this morning to learn about you. Your word teaches us about you as the Lord Almighty. It shows you are the one we are to regard as holy. You're the one we are to fear. You're the one we are to dread. We come now in fear and dread to hear your word and grow in holiness. Guide our lives that we might be holy as you are holy. Please, Father, open our ears to hear, our hearts to understand. Help us to grow in your, our love and appreciation of all you do for us. In Christ's name, amen. In Psalm 96, we spoke about the joy of the gospel. It had as its purpose the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles. It showed the mighty work of the Holy Spirit in the pulling down of, of the ceremonial systems and eras that had developed from them. It also brought attention to the casting down of the idol gods. We hear in this psalm, a voice crying out across the sea to every continent now for the rejoicing of the reign of Jesus. We observe the fire descending. We see the gospel flashes out like lightning. We see the difficulties disappear. We understand all the idols are confounded. We recognize the church rejoices. We are amazed that the Lord is exalted. We hear in the close of this psalm, a twofold exhortation to stand fast. First, to stand under the persecutions that will come to all believers. Second, to hear the little bid to the saints to rejoice that their way might be bright and their reward glorious and sure. Now, who wrote this psalm? The title doesn't tell us anything about who wrote it or for what occasion it was written. Most scholars ascribe it to David. There are, however, a growing number of modern critics that would deny that David wrote it. They seem to always want to ascribe it to anyone but David. Now, why would they do that? Because David has a lot of prophecy in it. 
And they don't want to believe that God gave David this prophecy. So they want to take when the prophet of another prophet took it and quoted David and say, see, they didn't written until 500 years later. They seem to ignore that the later prophets might well have borrowed these passages from David. Two psalms in this series of psalms, 92 through 106, is said to be written by David, and that's Psalm 101 and 103. All others are following the same direction, leading most honest students to believe David wrote them all. It's not really important to us who wrote it. They all come from God, every one of them. We only bring it up because some are trying to use the author controversy to introduce new theories that have no foundation in Scripture. I don't want you to believe their theories are anything because they're not. Now, I titled this sermon, The Lord Reigns. What was told the heathen in verse 10 of 96 is to be told again in Psalm 97. The great truth they're told in this psalm is that the Lord reigns. The Lord Jehovah reigns. He created the world and everything in it. He he that made the world also governs it. He that that gives life, gives motion and power. He that gives law also gives commission. He that gives success also gives events. All of our judgments come from the Lord, from his counsel and his providence. And in all affairs, both public and private, the Lord performs all things which he himself has decreed. The Lord reigns, the providential, the mediatorial, and the administrative aspects of that kingdom are all in the hands of Jesus Christ. This shows that Christ is the head of the church and head over all things to the church, which establishes that he reigns. Let's turn our attention to this 97th Psalm. First, we'll examine the reign of Jehovah. Second, we see how he lights the world. Third, we will observe how he perplexes idol worshipers. Fourth, we will find how those who love the Lord hate evil. This psalm begins with a watchword. Listen to verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. So the watchword here is that the Lord reigns. It is the essence of the gospel proclamation. It is the foundation of the gospel kingdom. Jesus has come and been given all power in heaven and earth. The Lord reigns. Therefore, all men are under obligation to give him their obedient faith. The believer draws comfort from these words. The unbeliever whines at them. The the unbeliever doesn't want to hear the word of God at all. The psalmist says, let the earth rejoice, for there is great cause for joy. That joy comes from the reign of the Lord. When men have allowed that other gods of their imaginations reign, they produce not joy, but injustice, oppression, bloodshed, and terror. There is hope only in the reign of one. The one is Jehovah. And through his reign, you have hope for mankind. And as men come into that hope, you see the kingdom grow and you find paradise restored. The very earth itself will be glad that its maker has come to his own. And the whole race of men 
will shout with gladness. They will indeed show great joy and gladness to every willing subject because Jesus Christ brings untold blessings. He goes on to say, let the multitude of isles be glad. Now you need to understand, the Israelites had this idea that if you had to go somewhere in a ship, you were going to an island. So everything was an isle to them except their own homeland. It is truly a blessing that on some islands, the greatest victories of the cross have been seen. England has to stand out as one of those victories. While America is not an island, the Jews would have thought it was an island at that day, but it has been blessed by seas on either side of her. Because of these seas, America was able to become a great nation through God's blessing. God gave island nations an invisible wall a wall to protect them from attacks, giving greater opportunity for the gospel to grow. The Lord reveals himself, verse 2. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So the Lord revealed himself at Mount Sinai. Whenever God reveals himself, it must be accompanied by the clouds and darkness to keep men from being destroyed by his excess glory. What we learn here is that in every revelation of God, there must be a veiling of his infinite splendor if anything is to be seen by finite believers. In those times of veiling, you can see persecution and oppression attacking the church. This persecution and oppression grow over months and years, building pressure on the church. Does God desert the church in such times? No. What he has been doing is building up resolve in the hearts of his people. Preparing them for the day he sparks a revival. And then the work he was doing is brought forth in great joy and gladness. The church has changed. The city has changed. The nation has changed by the grace of God's word in preparing those who have been saved to rise up and declare the truth without fear. In this, we see that the foundation of his kingdom is righteous and just. What are we told happens? Look at verse 3. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. This is his advanced guard cleansing his way. We saw this advanced guard at Mount Sinai. His power went out and consumed all opposition. The flame in his omnipotence burning everything up. Our God, Jehovah, is long-suffering. But know this, when he comes to judge, he will make short work of the unrighteous. They will be like chaff before the flame. Put that with the concept of God's coming judgment in reference to Christ's coming. Add to that the Holy Spirit. Then remember, the tongues of fire and of the power which attended the gospel causes all opposition to be overcome. We can know that even today, when the gospel is faithfully preached and with the power of the Spirit, it will overcome too. It will burn and clear its own way irresistibly, destroying falsehood, superstition, unbelief, sin, indifference, and hardness of heart. In his coming, the Lord reigns. And the earth rejoices. The Lord reigns. He lights up the world. Verse 4. 
His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. Now, you need to understand, the judgment of God and their effects upon the world are laid out as lightning and fire from heaven. This causes the earth to tremble and the mountains to melt like wax and dissolve away. When Christ was set upon the throne of his kingdom, there followed a terrible display of his vengeance. That judgment broke the Jewish nation in the year 70 A.D. into pieces. It totally destroyed their civil and religious polity. The lightning of the gospel has shined its light upon the new covenant and the new church. The church of the the Lord Jesus Christ has established a new nation, a spiritual nation governed by the love of Christ, overcome by the Holy Spirit, guiding and directing it to its ultimate glory. This is a new nation that is founded on faith and not on sight. Faith sets the world on fire and shakes the nation to and fro. The shaking brings Israel, this old nation, to the point it can no longer stand. Verse 5. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. This world and its inanimate elements know its creator. They worship him in their own fashion. Nations across this world that at times stand out as great come to total destruction. The Lord decrees their rise and their fall. Great mountain ranges can come and go at his decree. The psalmist says all of this happens at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The kingdom of Christ was set up in the world after his ascension. It was immediately attacked by a host of enemies. It would be met with much opposition. These enemies would not have Christ reign over them, and in fact, they would not have him reign at all. These evil people, they would not enter heaven, and they would do everything they could to keep others from entering it also. This was established in the hatred of the unbelieving Jews to the gospel of Christ and the violent persecution they stirred up against those who proclaimed it. Now, we know the opposition the Jews gave to the kingdom of Christ turned to their own ruin. The persecution they leveled at the apostles, telling them they could not preach to the Gentiles in the name of Christ, filled up their sin and brought wrath upon them. The leaders of Israel rejected their Messiah. The people followed their lead and cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! They sent their Lord and Savior to do that to that terrible cross and watched him suffer and die. The judgment of God fell on them. Their nation was destroyed and their people scattered throughout the world. The temple they put so much hope in was raised and their priesthood lost forever. No descendant of Aaron can be found today, meaning they have no priesthood. Even with the desertion of the Jews from God's kingdom, the heavens still saw his glory. Verse 6. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. The heavens, by the manifestation of his vengeance, reveal, declare, and proclaim the righteous judgment of the Messiah. All the peoples of the earth are witnesses of his glorious actions. They see his victory over everything that opposes the establishment of his kingdom. This will be made even more clear at his second coming. When the trumpet sounds and he comes in the clouds of heaven, all the peoples of the earth shall witness his coming in the glory of his Father. 
He will return with the host of heaven and every eye shall see him and those who rejected him will call for the mountains to fall on them and hide them. Those who have placed their hope and trust in this Messiah, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and in him alone shall rise up and shout praises to him and rejoice at his appearing. So let me ask you, will you stand with those who rejoice? Or will you cower with those who reject him? I beg of you, please, place your hope in Jesus Christ and in him alone. For he alone can open heaven's gate for you. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to Jesus Christ. Stand with those who rejoice. Idolaters will also be confounded by the setting up of Christ's kingdom. Verse 7. Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Who is to be perplexed? It would be those who serve idols, in which case meant Gentiles. The Gentiles of this world serve those who by nature were no gods at all. They boasted that these lifeless idols gave them protection and were their benefactors. These people serving idols boasted of them. Shall the servants of the living God trust in him? Shall they be ashamed of him? No, they shall never be ashamed of him. They will always put their trust and hope in Christ and in Christ alone. The psalmist says, let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Do not allow the works of the hands of men to deceive you. They carve images and call them gods, but what can they do? Can they walk under their own power? No. Can they speak to you words of warning, correction, and comfort? No. They're but dumb stone and wood without heart. What about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who made this gospel a reality? Who gave Jesus the words he speaks? Who instructed him in things to watch out for? Who gave him the wisdom that comforts you? All of that came from the heart of the Heavenly Father. You need to recognize this for what it truly is. This is the gospel prayer for the conversion of the Gentiles. It is given to those who have so long been serving dumb idols. It is given that they may be convicted of their error. It was laid out for them that they might be ashamed of their foolishness. It was proclaimed that they should be brought to serve the only living and true God. This is a prophecy of those who would not be reformed. A prophecy of those who would not be reclaimed from their idolatry. They will be confounded by the destruction of paganism. Please know that this prophecy is still in force against anti-Christian idolaters today. David leaves us with this word. Worship him. Worship Christ, all you gods. Put your attention on him and on him alone. Let Asherah of the Canaanites, Baal of the Phoenicians, Chemosh of the Moabites, Beelzebub of the Philistines, Tamaz of the Babylonians, and all who worship them, 
turn from their worship of such idols to the worship of Jesus Christ and the true and living God. Here in these next verses, the psalmist speaks of the new Zion. He also speaks of the daughters of Judah, which represent the Christian churches. Verse 8, Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because your judgments, O Lord. While the nations or the heathens are, are perplexed, the peoples of God are made to triumph, for they love to see their God exalted. They are raised up and made to rejoice in the kingdom of Christ. There's not a single believer that is not glad to see false systems of religion broken up and idol gods cast down and destroyed. The judgment against false idols is a great delight to those who worship the true God in spirit and truth. In the first years of Christianity, believing Israelites rejoiced to see Christ's kingdom victorious among the heathen. The judgments of the Lord are beautiful in the eyes of his followers. God is holy and he calls those who follow him to be holy also. Holiness is the real foundation to this kingdom of Christ. We should be overjoyed to see the destruction of anything that is unholy. Look into your own life and see your ongoing struggle to rid yourself of unholiness. Remember those victories? Remember those victories over such unholy things? Remember the joy that filled your heart as you overcame that wickedness that kept you from holiness in your life? All believers are filled with rejoicing at the salvation they have found in their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are constantly built up stronger and stronger in faith and hope because of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Here is a good place to stop and search your heart. Have you felt the love of God in your heart? Have you opened your eyes to see the wonder of what Jesus Christ came into this world to do? There's only one way, only one way to find such glory in your life, and that is to believe in Jesus Christ as the one and only begotten Son of God sent to save souls. When you have believed and committed your soul to him as he committed himself to you, will you not come and be one of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ? It's then and only then that you will take the words of verse 9 as your own. For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted above all gods. You'll be able to see that your Lord has manifested his sovereignty in the kingdom of nature. He commands all its powers and has dominion over all nations and over every heart. This is called providence. You will understand that he is exalted above all gods. Exalted far above all disputed gods, that is princes and all counterfeit gods which would be idols. He has defeated them all. The exaltation of Christ and the advancement of God's glory among men is where the rejoicing of the saints begin. We cannot call ourselves disciples of Christ if we do not hold him in the highest of honor. He came into this world to bring us love, a real true heart-centered love. 
What is this love? It is a commitment to him in everything he has told us about himself. Jesus Christ, he did not come to those who were well, but to those who were sick and dying. He came committed to saving all the Father had given him, regardless of their place in society. They had no worth in themselves, but they were loved by God. They were called into Jesus Christ. Thus their life began when he poured out his love on them. Open your hearts today. Rejoice in the love he gave you. For those so committed, care is taken for their protection. Those who come paying tribute to the Christ as king shall be under his safekeeping. On earth, princes are the shields that protect. In the spiritual world, Christ is to his followers their safety. Those who put their trust under the shadow of his wings will rejoice in his guarantee. We stand in security only as we stand on his gospel and follow the commands of his word. We are all weak creatures with nothing to offer God for his concern. God doesn't look on us and see our holiness. He looks on us and sees our desperately wicked hearts. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. He knows our weakness even after salvation. He called us because of his great desire to love. His, he gave us a new heart to show us his love. And, and he pledges his help to show us how to love him. Isn't that wonderful? So we have been given his love both in him loving us and us loving him. What does that cause us to do? Look at verse 10. You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. God hates evil. His fire goes forth and consumes it. Our God is a consuming fire. His lightning goes out and blasts it. His presence shakes it out of its place. His presence shakes it all and cleanses it. His love goes out and confounds all the lovers of evil. You must recognize that it is impossible to love God without hating that which he hates. We need to ask ourselves, how much do I hate what God loves? Or hate what God hates, I'm sorry. We are not only to avoid evil, but we're also to, to, to agree, not to agree with it, to refuse to agree with it. We need to do that in our day to day. Because we're having so many people tell us these things are good that we know the scripture says are evil. We're being told today that we must accept the evil of others and not question them about it. Can we do that as Christians? I don't believe so. You must understand that is against God and his commands. Abortion is murder. Homosexual lifestyles are an abomination to God. Transgenderism is a lie. God said he made men and women. There's not a mention of another gender in scripture. So we must ask ourselves, do I want to please God or man? 
Do I want love God or do I want the love of men? These are very important questions for us to ask ourselves. You need to think on that. You need to make sure that you're following what God's word called you to do, what he called you to be. The psalmist goes on to say he preserves the souls of his saints. This makes it very clear. We need to avoid being friends with those who favor sin. The ones we can safely be in league with are the saints. Only those who love the Lord will see glory manifested in their lives. He goes on to say he delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. I know it is the fear of men that causes us to violate this principle of fighting against sin. We don't want to make those around us give us the cold shoulder. We don't want to deal with their persecution. But dear ones, that is not an excuse because he says we will be delivered from the hand of the wicked. They can do nothing, absolutely nothing, to separate you from the hand of God. God said not to fear men who could kill the body, but to fear God who could kill the body and the soul. This is where you have to examine the commitment you made to Christ. Did you really mean it? If you did, then stand up and declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior and let no man scare you out of being steadfast and witnessing for Jesus Christ. As Christians, we must wait for what is to come. The Lord has sown in our hearts his love, and we, like the farmer, must wait the germination of that which was planted. Verse 11. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. The full delight of the righteous is not yet ours. It is sown for us. It's springing up and it will yet appear. This is only for those who are right before the Lord. Those who stand in his righteousness for all others that will be lost. Lost in a darkness that has been reserved for those who know no righteousness at all. The psalmist adds to this gladness for the upright in heart. This gladness is not for just one person, but for all believers. Paul, after speaking of the crown of life laid up for him in 2 Timothy 4.8, quickly changes his speech by adding, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The upright will be glad and must show their gladness. Charles Spurgeon says, those who are right-hearted shall also be glad-hearted. He goes on to say, right leads to light. The gospel of Jesus Christ, everywhere it goes, sows the earth with the gladness of truth, for it gives to men righteousness before the Lord. Therefore, listen to verse 12. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. This tells us tribulation should not stop us from rejoicing in Jehovah, our righteousness. It is the Lord who justifies us from our sins. Thus, no adversity can make us neglect in celebrating with thanksgiving in the commemoration of his holiness. 
we gather here every Sunday in the remembrance of his holy name to honor all our Lord and Savior has done for us. Let us love only him. Let us this morning make clear why we're here. We come because we know that our Lord reigns. We come to remember all he has done on our behalf and to worship him as our righteous Lord. So please, open your hearts. Open your hearts and believe in him and in him alone. For there is no other way to come into that righteousness. Let us pray. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? You are the Lord and the great King above all gods. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let us lift our voices and sing praise to this God that has made us the world and everything in it. May we find our salvation in his works and our lives undergirded by his grace and mercy. May we come in prayer to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, to be honor and glory forever and ever. In Christ's name, amen.